Good morning. Beautiful day today. So glad to see you again. And a uh, couple of things while we've just shared some announcements, I have to actually have a couple more things I want to kind of add uh, to that, uh, just kind of coming from me. Um, I, I want to just encourage everyone, first of all, just to mark your calendars and make plans, if at all possible, to be here for our Christmas Eve services. And I can't tell you exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> we know what we're planning, uh, but at the same time, we also recognize that th some things may change. And so we're going to do everything possible. Uh, our plan right now is it involves gathering out here, so you can be praying, especially for the weather to cooperate. Uh, that will be so vital um, in uh, us being able to have great Christmas Eve services. But I just hope you'll, you'll not uh, plan on not being here. I hope you'll plan to be here. And just join us in that as we continue to really celebrate a Southwind's Christmas. And the second thing that I want to uh, mention to you has also to do with giving. And uh, I want to share something with you about an amazing opportunity that we have. Uh, we have found in the last couple of weeks that we have um, the possibility of refinancing our debt, which has the potential to save us about $100,000 a year. Now... So many of you have really just been faithful throughout 2020, but uh, for a number of reasons, we're still looking at right now about of a drop about 17% from our giving last year. And of course, that means that um, saving that money on a refinance will be a crucial. We've cut our expenses significantly, done everything we can, uh, but for us to be in the position for a bank to actually sign on for this, we need to have as much money on hand uh, at the end, by the end of the year as we possibly can. So our elders are encouraging all of us to do everything we can to give as much as we can possibly before December 31st. And that may mean for some of us catching up on our regular giving. Uh, it may mean for some of us getting ahead or, or catching up or getting ahead on our breakthrough giving. Uh, but whatever it is, um, I just want to encourage you to do this. This is not going to be some kind of high-pressure campaign. We're just laying the opportunity out there. And if God has blessed you and if you are able uh, to, to give, uh, we want to encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, ask God in these next uh, days ahead what God wants you to do. Uh, pray that God will um, just open the doors so that we can reach the people, Tracy Mountain House, and Lathrop that he is calling us uh, to reach. So that's the word of that. Be praying about that. I uh, hope that you'll, you'll take that before the Lord for you and your family and do whatever he tells you to do. Amen. You want to get your Bibles open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, if you're not already there. Verses 5 through 25 is our text for today. And we're starting a brief Christmas series uh, this morning. It is called The Best Christmas Ever with a question mark behind it. And I think, you know, every year, most of us, we kind of are hoping about uh, how we can have the best Christmas ever. Um, but I'm kind of thinking this year that many of us have given up on that. Many of us think this is not going to be that year. Many of us are thinking, you know, we're just going to have to do the best we can with what we got. And 2020 is 2020, and hopefully it's going to be over with soon, and that's all we can look forward to. You know, how could we have a great Christmas with pandemics and lockdowns and all of that? 
Well, I want to be talking to you this week and the next couple of weeks about all kinds of ways that we can prepare our hearts and prepare our lives and celebrate Jesus' birth and make even 2020 a wonderful Christmas. And I think you're going to see as we study, there are some gifts that we can receive this Christmas that if we truly receive them, they will change everything. And today's gift, the one we're going to talk about, is the gift of waiting, the gift of waiting. It's a gift we see in this passage I've mentioned to you, an early part of the Christmas story. And I want you now uh, to listen to God's word as I read it. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving his priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And by the way, let me just point something out to you men. This is a pretty good way to say this. You're old, but your wife is never old. If your wife is old, she's actually well along in years. That's the only way you ever think of putting it, okay? Guys got that? My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When this time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, amen. You know, there's so much power in this story. We, we meet two people, Zachariah and Elizabeth, two people who are waiting on God. And they're praying and they're asking God, Lord, would you give us a child? And that prayer has not been answered. And they're old now. And they have prayed many times. They have been waiting a very long time. And I'm wondering maybe as we step into this Christmas season, if any of you are feeling like them. Maybe you can relate to that more in 2020 than ever before. You know what it's like to wait. And I think if you think about it, if you pay attention to the Christmas story, you will see very quickly that it is saturated with waiting on God. And that's a problem for us in this day, right? 
I don't like to wait. Do you enjoy waiting? No. I don't know anybody who, you know, did recreational waiting, you know, just for fun. I don't know anybody who thinks waiting is their spiritual gift. I mean, I heard someone say not too long ago that we're a generation that burns our mouths on Hot Pockets. Right? I mean, we don't want to take the time to cook a meal, so we're going to microwave a Hot Pocket, but we get the Hot Pocket out, and we can't wait for the Hot Pocket to cool down, and so we burn the roof of our mouths. Am I talking to anyone out here? Do I see that hand? We don't like to wait. But when we understand that waiting can be a gift, when we understand that God so often uses waiting, we can learn to wait, and we can receive the gift of waiting. So as we walk through this story, I want to show you one thing we often feel while we wait and two things we can do to respond to waiting. Here's the first one. Number one, and you can put this down and write this down if you're writing with pencil or pen, or if you got your app, you can take it, uh, the notes there. When I wait, I can feel forgotten. This is what happens a lot of times when we're waiting. I feel forgotten. And again, Luke sets the scene for us. This is verses 5 through 7. We meet Elizabeth, the priest, I mean, Zechariah, priest, and Elizabeth, his wife, and they're godly people. They love God. They obey God blamelessly, Luke says, but they don't have any children. They're waiting. And they actually live in a time of waiting. Maybe you know this, that God has been silent to his people for 400 years. Since the prophet Malachi wrote the final book of the Old Testament, no prophet has received a word from God. And among the last things Malachi wrote about, dealt with the forerunner to Messiah, we know he's about to show up, but they don't. They're living in this time where God seems distant, remote. He's, he's far, far away. He's silent. But God is about to make himself spectacularly known. They were also living in a time of oppression, and we see this in Luke's first words, where it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Herod, as you've heard me talk about before, was this brutal despot of epic proportions. He was appointed by Rome. He reigned from 37 to 4 BC. We know just a few things about him, and none of them are any good. He was brilliant, and he was evil, and he used his brilliance, and he used his power to inflict many people. He, he did all kinds of things, but he damaged and oppressed people while he did them. He built palaces. He built the port at Caesarea. He built the temple in Jerusalem. But he did it with great violence. One time when he was running short of cash in the royal treasury, he brought 45 of the region's wealthiest citizens in, and he killed them, and he took their money. At different times, he was so paranoid about his throne being usurped, he had... Uh, his mother-in-law, uh, one of his wives, and three of his sons murdered. And in his later years, he knew he was so unpopular that no one uh, was going to mourn when he died. So he gave orders that 70 of the most uh, influential citizens in Jerusalem were to be killed, executed upon his death so that there would be actual mourning after he died. Uh, good news is they didn't do that after he died, just in case you were wondering. But this is Zechariah and Elizabeth's world. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is a priest's daughter. And we see in verse 6 that they had sterling character, both upright, observing all the Lord's commandments blamelessly. So you should let this sink in. These are wonderful people. This is a couple that stood out for their faithfulness to God. They, they follow God. They obey God. They, they try to serve God. They love God. And, and yet in the midst of that, God had not blessed them with children. 
And there are some of you here who know and can imagine what this was like for them because you know what it's like to experience infertility. They wanted to know God's favor, but it didn't seem like they had it. Because he had not answered their deepest prayers, they felt forgotten. And they felt that way for a long, long time. Again, we cannot pass by the fact that Luke says they're old, and we don't know how old, but they've been praying for children for many years. And they've watched as their friends had kids, and they've watched as those children have grown up, and, and they've listened to who knows how many people give them advice. You know, some of you know what that's like. You can't get pregnant. And other people, they just know what you need to do. I mean, they, they come and they tell you what essential oils you should use to help you get pregnant. Maybe that happened to them. I don't know. But they felt the pain. They felt the pain of disappointment. They also felt the pain of people around them who wondered out loud if they didn't have kids because of some secret sin in their lives. And maybe you remember that everyone back then kind of assumed that God blessed righteous people with children. And so if you didn't have any, well, they could feel the judgment of their community. They could feel the shame. In fact, maybe you noticed at the end, verse 25, Elizabeth said it was disgrace. They feel disgraced. And yet all this time they're following God faithfully, doing what he says there's kind of a great irony in the background here. Zechariah, that name means the Lord remembers. And Elizabeth, that name means God my promise. And so you put that together, their names mean God remembers to keep his promises. But it doesn't seem like he had done that for them. Their disappointment, their feeling forgotten, actually leads us to the next truth that I want you to see. And this is the first thing that we see in this story that we should and can do when we wait. When I wait, I can keep serving God. I can keep serving God. So one day, Zachariah's packing, and he's taking off for a week. And most of the year, he probably works a small farm out in the hill country of Judea. But as part of the division of Abijah, twice a year, every six months, he travels to Jerusalem to the temple to serve. And the historian Josephus tells us there were 18,000 priests then, and each division had about 700 priests. And so they would go a couple times a year. They would also serve at major festivals, like all hands on deck for Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. But, but priests had other jobs. They had other jobs, but then they devoted five weeks of their life each year to temple service. And that's what's happening here as Zechariah's group is heading to Jerusalem together. In verses 8 through 10, it's, it tells us that once his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. I want us to try to do our best to enter into this scene. He's inside the temple. He's inside the holy place. He's in that space, that room where there's the table for the offering of bread and the, where the perpetually lit candlesticks are. And in front of him, there is a curtain. And on the other side of that curtain is the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Maybe you know this, but Ark means box and covenant means promise. And so the box containing the covenants, the promises of God, that's what's in the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ten Commandments had been. That box represented that they were God's people and that he was their God. That temple represented that. And so he's inside that temple. He's serving God. He's doing everything he knows how to do to obey the Lord. And God has made all these promises. 
But yet for Zechariah, it doesn't seem like those promises are being kept. This was also, you should keep in mind, a very hard time for God's people in general. They're ruled by the Romans. They're not a freed people. They're living under an oppressive Roman regime, under an oppressive taxation system, which was crippling them financially. And it's something else. At the temple where Zechariah was serving, there was a constant reminder in their most special place of their subjugation. On one side of the temple compound, built right into the walls of the Temple Mount, there was a Roman fort named after Mark Anthony called the Fortress Antonia. And Roman soldiers would be on uh, the, the top of the wall by that fort, looking down into the temple compound, watching the worshipers from the walls. They were ready to put down any rebellions before they could gain momentum. And what that meant was that you, as one of God's people coming to worship God, you are doing your worship, practicing your worship, as the ruling oppressive government watched you. I don't know if this would be a good analogy, because we don't live in a place like this, but can you imagine if right now, all behind me and all behind you were government officials, law enforcement of some kind, and they're all standing, and they're all watching. They're seeing if you're wearing your mask. They're seeing if you're getting too close to people. I don't know. But you get, you get the idea. I'm not comparing these two things, really. I'm just trying to give us a picture of something that was far, far worse. You're trying to worship God, and yet this government, this oppressive government is watching. It's like you're caught in the middle. You're caught in the middle between God and his promises and all the good he said he will do for you. And then the other side, the reality of your oppression by a brutal government. On one side, it's the Ark of the Covenant where God says, I will never leave you. I have a plan for you. But on the other side, just a few feet away, a Roman fort. And it's kind of like, how can God possibly be with us when we're getting the life crushed out of us here? Now, if you want to see some visual representations of all that I've been describing verbally, you can watch the online services. i got a lot of pictures there uh, that illustrate the things I've just been describing. You may want to check this out. But here's what we're seeing in this story, both personally for Zachariah and Elizabeth and also corporately for God's people as a whole. They are waiting. They're waiting for God to come through, waiting for God to keep his promises. And it doesn't seem like he will. It seems like he's forgotten them. And again, as I was thinking about this message this week, I was wondering about us. I was thinking about you. I was wondering how many of us are in this space right now for a whole lot of different reasons. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're having the pain of infertility right now and no one else knows. Maybe you're here and you've gone through divorce recently and you're just living out of the shattering of your dream of a loving family. Maybe this year you've lost a loved one and you're still trying to figure out how am I going to keep living? Maybe it's cancer, and you don't know if you're going to be here next year. Maybe the pandemic has left you jobless, and you can't find work, and you don't know how you're going to make it. So what will we do? How will we respond? Will we grow discouraged? Will we give up on God? Will we become cynical and bitter? Or will we keep serving? Because we're trusting that even when we can't see it, God is a faithful God who always keeps his promises. And an amen goes right there. See, Zachariah shows us that even when we wait, we can still serve God. Now go back to his story. 
the lot is cast, he's in the temple, he's going to be lighting the incense in the holy place. And, and what we don't know, the scholars tell us, this is an incredibly special event. This happened only one time in your life, and it didn't happen to every priest. Not everyone got to do it, and that means this is one of the most important days in Zechariah's life. And so he's in there, and he's got this incense, and it's not in a stick, or it's not like... Um, you know, a cone of incense. It's going to be powder, loose powder, and there are going to be coals that are there, and he's going to put the incense on the coals, and it's going to billow up with this smoke. It's going to rise, this fragrant cloud. And verse 10 says, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside, and the idea is that the priest goes in, he lights the incense, the smoke goes up, and it's like your prayers are going up to God, and everyone would rejoice at this beautiful imagery. And I think a lot of people outside worshiping who can see the fortress Antonia on one side and the Roman soldiers, I, I think a lot of them are praying that God would somehow someday deliver. They still have hope. They're still waiting for the deliverer to come. They're still waiting for God to come through. And something interesting happens. I'm sure Zachariah goes in and he's probably thinking, I can't wait to do this and go home and tell Elizabeth what happened to me. I can't believe I was chosen to light the incense. And then in verse 11... Everything changes. This is where we get our third truth. This is what I want you to write down. When I wait, I can keep trusting God. So in verse 11 through 13, this angel appears, and Zechariah sees him. He's startled and gripped with fear, and the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Have you ever noticed how the first thing angels almost always say is, Do not be afraid. Angels have to say this a lot. Why? Because they're scary. They're supernatural spiritual beings who live in realms beyond our imagination. I mean, and by the way, this is our periodic reminder that angels don't look like teenage girls with lots of product in their hair. They don't look like chubby kids in diapers or precious moment figurines. They are beautiful, powerful, awesome creatures who serve a beautiful, powerful, awesome God. Go back to the story, verses 13 through 15. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. He gives him the promise that Elizabeth is going to bear a son, and he's going to name him John. You go on to verses 16 and 17. He gives him instructions about how this, this young child is to live. He tells him what his purpose is going to be, that many of the people of Israel will bring back to the Lord their God, how, how John is going to appear in the spirit and the power of the prophet Elijah, how he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. He's going to make people ready for the Lord. Are you ready for the Lord to come? That was John's job. And this is just incredible. Here's what's happening. The angel is telling Zechariah that God is answering his prayers, that his waiting is finally coming to an end. He's going to have a son. He's going to have an heir. And his son will have cosmic significance. He will be the forerunner to God's Messiah, the Savior that Zechariah's people have been longing for. But then we kind of have this jarring moment. In verse 18, we see that Zechariah is really not in a space to trust that yet. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now translate the Aramaic that he speaks. He's saying, are you kidding me? Have you looked at Elizabeth lately? How can I know for sure? Now the angel answers him, and you need to pay a careful attention to his tone, um, because 
if you pay attention, you'll see that what he says is said very sternly. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And he's not been believed. And so the angel says, now you're not going to be able to, to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. It's kind of like, Zachariah, you want a sign? Here's your sign. <laughs> you're not going to talk for at least nine months. Now again, keep in mind, where's this conversation taking place? Inside the holy place, by the incense altar. The people are outside. They're waiting. They're praying. They're wondering what's going on. How come he's not coming out? When he finally comes out, verse 21, they're wondering why he stayed so long. When he comes out, he was supposed to tell them something, but he can't speak. And so we have this kind of odd uh, first century game of charades, I think, that went on, you know, like, one word, two syllables, he maybe makes angel wings, sign. I don't know what he was doing, but, but they, they finally figure out that he can't speak, that he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he finishes out his week of service, and he goes home. And then those final verses, verses 23 to 25, say, when his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Why in seclusion? It's kind of like the camera shifts away from Zachariah over to Elizabeth and what she's thinking and what she's doing. And what she does is she closes the door to her home and she gets very quiet, very worshipful, very filled with awe. She says, the Lord has done this for me in these days. He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. He's taken away my shame. The shame that people have put on me, believing that we had sinned somehow, done something wrong, that our hearts were not devoted to God. He's showing his favor to me. And I just wonder if that wasn't a five-month-long prayer. In these days, Lord, we're receiving your favor. In these days, Lord, you're sending your goodness. You have done this for me, taken away my disgrace. So that's the story. What's the takeaway for us? What is God telling us? Well, God is telling us, I believe, that we can keep trusting him even when we're waiting. And I want to look at some elements of this story and also some other scriptures with the time we have left to talk about how we can grow in our trust in God when we wait. And if you're taking notes, you're just going to have to use that blank box to write this stuff down. And I'll, I'll give it to you a couple times if I need to. But there are three truths under this third point that I want to show to you. And here's the first one. Three truths that will help us keep trusting God while we wait. Number one, God works while we wait. We always need to remember God works while we wait. So go back to the 400 years of silence where Zachariah and Elizabeth lived most of their lives. God was working in the silence. And they didn't know that, but we do now. Have you ever noticed that? You don't always know when God is working, right? But he's working. The Bible says he's always working. I've shared some of this with you before. We know now from history that God was like reorganizing the whole world to get it ready for the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. A couple of things were going on that we know about, just as examples. He raised up people like Alexander the Great, the great conqueror who conquered the whole known world, and out of that made one language, Koine Greek, the common tongue everywhere, which enabled the gospel to spread in unprecedented ways because everybody spoke the same language. We know that after Alexander, God used the Roman Empire. They conquered everyone, 
They established peace. Historians call it the Pax Romana. They, they built a road system in this season of peace that people could travel on. Some of these roads still exist. They do better road work 2,000 years ago than we have in California these days. I don't get it. But those roads enabled the gospel to spread. So here's the thing to keep in mind. God can use anyone and everyone to accomplish his will. So while we were wondering what is going on and where is God and has God vanished, is God even real, God was still at work in the waiting. He always is. I love this text from Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 4. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. That's a good prayer to pray right now. For when you did awesome things, God, that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. And then look at this. Do not miss this. Grab this with everything you have. No eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. While I wait, God works. This is a promise from the unchanging word of God. God promises if you wait on me, I'll work for you. If you wait on me, if you're patient, if you don't give up, if you just keep following me, I promise you, you may not see what I'm doing. You may even be tempted to think I'm not doing anything at all, but all the time I am orchestrating things for my glory and for your good. We sing that song, Waymaker, kind of become an anthem during 2020, and some of the lyrics that grabbed so many hearts were these, even when I don't see it, you're working. Is that true? Even when I don't feel it, you're working. How many of you have decided in your heart God's not working in your life because you can't see it, because you can't feel it? And the song continues, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. I'm telling you today, grab hold of, cling on to that truth. And it doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change in a minute. It doesn't mean you're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be like sunshine and puppies. <laughs> but we have a promise-keeping God, and while you wait, he works. And he knows how to work. He has infinite wisdom. He knows everything that could ever be known. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and so he stands at the end, and he makes decisions about now. While we stand in the now, and we don't know what to do because we don't have enough information, God, we don't know why you're doing this, we say sometimes, and God says, that's because you don't know what I know. See, there's a lot of things God says you don't understand yet, and you need to trust me that I am working all things together for your good. In fact, Lamentations 3.25 says this. The Lord is good. Say the Lord is good. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is good to those who what? Wait for him. The Lord is good when you wait for him. And he knows things we don't know. He does things we can't understand. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8. I just want to tell you, friends, when you cannot hear his voice speaking, trust that his hands are working. 
That's the first thing. God works while we wait. Second, we grow in our trust in God while we wait. When we understand this, who we become while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. Who we become while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for. I want to put some things together real quickly from Luke chapter 1. I want to remind you about some stuff. What did we read about Zachariah and Elizabeth? Well, they were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands. They did so blamelessly. And they were also old, advanced in years. That means, track with me, they had been obeying and serving and following God for many years, for many decades. That means they had spent most of their lives in the 400 years of silence when God wasn't speaking. And during all that silence, during all that waiting, they were becoming something. Even when it made no sense to stay faithful, stick with God, they waited and they trusted. And I'm telling you today, you too can become something while you wait. God wants to do something in you during your waiting. Have you ever noticed this about waiting? When we wait, doesn't it a lot of times feel like we're in this like big, empty zone of silence? There's just this emptiness to the silence. And maybe you've also noticed the emptiness of the silence often becomes a playground for the enemy. The silence is often where he can convince you of things that are not true. The silence is where he leverages your doubts and your insecurities, where he plays on your fears. The enemy begins to sabotage the emptiness of the silent. And when we wait in the silence, it's where he begins to whisper to us and tell us things that are lies. And it's actually where sin even came into our story in Genesis 3. You know, the temptation from the enemy was, enemy was did God really say that? And he just kind of fills the silence with doubt. And that's what he does to all of us. Listen to me right now. Our job is to fill the silence with things that reinforce our trust in God and remind us of the promises of God. Let me say that again. Our job is to fill the silence with things that reinforce our trust in God and remind us of the promises of God. Now, I'm going to give you four things that are under this second thing, if you're tracking with me here, that you can do to reinforce our trust in God and remind us of his promises. Four ways to keep growing while we wait. First again, notice what the angel says to Zechariah after he says, do not be afraid. What's the next thing he says? He says, your prayer has been heard. So 400 years, nothing from God as far as we know. But we are told here that in that silence, Zechariah kept praying, your prayer has been heard. When did God hear his prayer? God heard his prayer in the season when it felt to Zechariah like God hadn't heard anything, like God wasn't listening to him. That's when God heard his prayer. So what do you do in a season of silence? That's the first thing. You pray. Zechariah kept praying. I mean, just imagine if you kept doing that. I mean, for some of us, 2020 may have been the heart, may be the hardest season of waiting we've ever been through. COVID has just made everything, whatever else we're going through, that much harder. And you're thinking right now, now I'm isolated, now I'm alone. And I thought it was going to be this way, but it's turned out actually that way. And I'm so ready for this to be over. So what do I do? What do I do when I wait? Well, you pray. You pray not as your last resort, but as your first option. 
Second, you worship your way through the waiting. You keep worshiping. You keep focusing on God. Keep exalting his goodness. Keep magnifying his faithfulness. Keep bowing before his power. Number three, you cling to his word. You cling to his word. I got a verse for you, three verses for you. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 3 says, say this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I put my hope. Cling to his word. And lastly, and someone is here. And this is what you need. Number four, you anchor yourself in a community that will fight for God's promises in your life. There's some people that are bailing on God's family right now. And it's the worst thing they could do. And I hope that's not anyone here. But if you're tempted to drift, if you're tempted to wonder, if you're tempted to think this doesn't really matter, you need to hear the word of the Lord for you today. Anchor yourself in a community that will fight for God's promises in your life. Because when you want to bail, you need people around you who can hold you up. Get people around you who will call the enemy a liar with you when you're not sure he is lying. Get people in your life group that will fill up the silence for you when you feel like I'm too tired to put anything into the silence. Will you please do that for me? No, no, that's not true about who I am. That is not my future. And you can speak to the enemy with that community around you and say, now, enemy, you don't just have to take me out. you got to take me and these six of my friends out too. Good luck because we're in this together. Find some community that will reinforce your trust in God. So, I told you two things we can do to keep trusting God. Here's the third idea. While we wait on God, we wait with God. God's always there. We see this all through the Christmas story that God is with us. Maybe you know these verses almost kind of sort of by heart. Matthew 1, verses 22 to 23 say, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is Isaiah 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Say it loud. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel is the essence of Christmas, and that word literally means God with us. Amanu is with us. El, that's God. It's from Elohim. Literally, Emmanuel is the with us God. And you never forget that while you wait on God, you are waiting with God. And I am telling you, if you get this and hold this and never quit holding on to this, you never leave this, the power of this is enough to anchor you no matter how long your season of waiting turns out to be. You see, the enemy's primary way to get us to give up is to convince us that God is not with us. He's not working in your life. Or worse, maybe he's not even real. Maybe... He says, maybe you're by yourself. You know, I think if the enemy had a slogan for 2020, that's what it would be. You're by yourself. You're by yourself, isolated, insulated, all alone. Nobody's there for you. That's all you have. That's you. But I'm telling you, 
telling you this morning, this is not true for those who have put their hope in the Lord. Because Jesus says, my name is the with us God. So Matthew begins his gospel with this promise that the the long-awaited Messiah is coming and his name is going to be Emmanuel. But then, do you know what the very last verse in the Gospel of Matthew is? Matthew 28, verse 20, the last words in that Gospel are Jesus himself, Emmanuel, the with us God, saying, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So think about that. Matthew's gospel, the story of Jesus Messiah arriving on planet Earth, it begins and it ends with a very simple statement. I am with you. I am with you. In the waiting, God says, when you can see me and when you can't, when you're aware of what I'm doing and when you're not, When your tank is full and when you're running out of gas, when you have a job and when you don't, when you're healthy and when you're so sick you don't think you'll make it, I, Almighty God, I am the with you God. That's who I am. I'm going to leave you and we're going to close with one of my favorite passages, and I think it's one of yours too, many of you. It's Isaiah 40. Verses 27 to 31. Verse 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. And in the context of of that verse, the people of God had rejected their God and they disobeyed him. They'd gone to idols and worshipped other false gods and God had eventually sent them into exile. But now God's bringing them back and they have turned from their sin. They're owning their sin, but life is still hard and they're wondering, God, do you even see us? We know that you're real now. We've seen you come through, God. But right now, do you even know we're here because we can't keep doing this? It's as if my cause isn't even seen by you anymore. And it's like I'm over here on an island somewhere going, God, do you even know where I am? And I think a lot of us in 2020 are right at that place. It's like you're shooting a flare gun up to heaven going, Jesus, can you even see me anymore? Because it has been let down after let down, failure after failure, not like I planned it. All this year, Jesus, do you know where I am? Listen to what Isaiah's response is, verses 28-29. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. So, yes, 2020 has been a hard year, but maybe we could say it this way. 2020 has also been a strengthening year where we can grow strong. Verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, and maybe your translation, maybe the one you're looking at right now says, wait. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, the Hebrew word there means both of those things. To truly wait is to hope because we always wait for whatever it is we hope in, right? 
It means we live in the tension of endurance. How long can we keep going? And it might make sense to give up because I can't see what God is doing. And I don't know that he's doing anything. But this Hebrew word to hope, to wait, it means I don't have to be able to see what God's doing to trust him. Because he is never, he is never, he has never failed. And he won't start now. He's never failed. And he won't start now. You know, my future, my future may be as foggy as a January day on this campus sometimes. I wouldn't be able to see you guys. That would be an interesting Sunday outdoor service. Your future may be like that, and you can't see how he could work out his promises right now. But you can say to yourself, I know him, I know him, and so I'm going to keep going, putting one foot in front of the other because I'm going to keep waiting on my God, and that's what we're called to do. And when we do that, what will God do in response? Verse 31, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That's the promise from Almighty God. You don't get strong by bailing. You don't get strong by trying to do it on your own. You get strong by waiting on God. You wait on God. You listen to him. You do whatever he says because we know, we know, we know that when we wait on him and hope in him, he gets the glory and we get his good. Amen, Southwinds? This is our king. This is our God. This is who we follow as we wait sometimes. And so I would encourage you, wait well, wait really, really well. Waiting can be a gift, and if you receive it, God can do some amazing things. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?